Hey, and welcome to the Raising Your Game podcast with me, Lewis Hatchett. I believe there's so much to learn from the world of sport, whether it's transferring into your own sporting and exercise goals or simply into your everyday life. I'll be speaking to those in the world of sport as well as drawing upon my own experiences to give you the stories, ideas and tips that you could potentially add into your world and will help you at raising your game. In this episode, I'm speaking with former Olympic badminton player Gail Ems. Gail achieved a silver medal at the 2004 Athens Olympics, gold medal at the World Championships in 2006, as well as two Commonwealth Games gold medals as well. She was then awarded an MBE at the end of her career. We go through so much in this conversation, starting with her journey in the sport of badminton, what it's like being a singular athlete compared to a team-based athlete, uh, as well as nearly giving up on her sport entirely and then having that passion reignited later on talking about coming out of your comfort zone in order to achieve success the commitment that's needed of an olympian what it was like competing against men because gail played in mixed doubles so the dynamic of being both a woman and a man on court and the dynamic in the game itself the cross culture within badminton how her mentality was everything to allow her to achieve what she achieved. We go into the topic of women in sport, her views on that, and as well as transitioning out of sport. This is a topic that I'm really uh, passionate about and something that's close to my heart. And we talk about some areas that athletes potentially can focus on and look to, to do in order to allow that transition to maybe happen a little bit easier. But we also talk about our own experiences as well. Like I said, look, there's so much covered in this episode and there is definitely something in here for everyone. As I mentioned, Gail's got a load of energy and one of the things that happens at the start of the podcast is her mic just interferes a little bit at the beginning, uh, but I didn't want to cut out that part of the podcast because it's a really interesting part. So it's just something to be aware of. It does clear up after about five minutes uh, when we get that sorted out. So without any hesitation, let's get into this podcast and I give you Gail Ems. Enjoy. Gail Ems, thank you for coming on. It's uh, We've just been chatting about coronavirus for the last 15 minutes and, <laughs> and the, 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 the wins and losses for everyone and, and the difference between Australia and, and, um, and the UK. But um, look, I, I actually wanted to... Uh, to talk about a lot of different things we i wanted to go into so many different topics that i've just mentioned to you about transitioning from sport and and what it's like going to the olympics and being uh, fitness as well past your career and things like that and sort of health, mental health and well-being in general but i think uh, i think the the best thing to do really is is to go into where your career in badminton started because and then also God, there's actually so much I want to get into about playing doubles and mixed doubles and things like that. And um, so, yeah, when, yeah. when, like, how did you get into badminton? Like, I've actually even never heard the story. Yeah. No. So, um, badminton obviously is a minority sport in this country. Um, and it was really started because I lived around the corner from a tin hut. And in that tin hut were three badminton courts. And I think, you know, if you read some books, especially Matthew Saeed's book about bounce. Um, he talks about at the end of his road in Sheffield, there was a tin hut and there were some table tennis tables in this tin hut. 
and it was exactly the same for me it was um a local community sports place so, um it had tennis courts outside and inside of this like i say this tin hut badminton courts with a little bar social area and when you're when you grow up in a community area where there's something like that where it's, it's very you know open lots of members you know it's it's right in the heart of the town so i'm from bedford and people just went there because it was social and it was fun um i grew up like I say, with a, around the corner with a very sporty family. My mum used to be a women's footballer for England. So my mum was one of the first lionesses. She played in the 1971 Women's World Cup. I read that, yeah. So to have, yeah, so to have someone really sporty as your mum is a fantastic role model. I was knackered growing up, bearing in mind, you know, my mom's like, come on, let's do this, this. And I was like, oh my God. But my mom <laughs> was so enthusiastic about everything. And she, she played cricket as well. She played cricket. Oh. She played every sport. Yeah. So my mom was like, you know, come on, let's go and play tennis. Let's go and play badminton. So I just got kind of um, sort of caught up in this whirlpool of energy and, and enthusiasm about sports. So sport was completely normal. Um, and when I held a badminton racket for the first time, I was probably only aged three or four years old. My mum cut it down for me and, you know, just sort of stood there. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I, people talk about, oh, you must have started so young and there must have been magic when you held that, you know, badminton racket for the first time. You see all these YouTube sensations and, you know, uh, Tiger Woods when he was three or whatever, putting balls. Now it's rubbish, completely rubbish when I played. Um, but I just remember, I'm a real feelings person, so I remember that, you know, when I look back, I just remember being really happy. And I remember just wanting to be like my mum. And my mum was a really good badminton player, as well as all of her other sporting achievements. And I just wanted to be like her. And I, and I just remember that because it was such a happy place, it was, you know, really social. All the members looked out for each other. The kids were running around while the mums and dads were playing sports. It was just that lovely childhood experience that I wanted to be there. Mm. And I think that's what we miss in this, you know, grow, you know, what we miss in sport now is we build these massive, big sporting complexes, which are fantastic, but we don't have that, that love, those little sports places that I'm sure, you know, there's loads of cricket clubs, um, you know, like that. And people talk about hockey clubs or mm. maybe, you know, a little tennis place or whatever that has that community spirit that people look out for each other and stuff. And that was my childhood. So um, it just became my happy place that wherever, you know, my free time, I just literally picked up a racket, walked over, just, you know, sort of like... <laughs> anyone want to play you know that was that was it because wow. it's just lovely you know and and with sport and when you're young and you you start sport you can see improvement and that is the best thing ever when you're a kid when you see improvement because your shoulders go back your head goes up and you're like I can do this you know and that's and that's literally how I started it was just pure love and wanting to get better yeah just for we current i think your um your earphones are clipping onto or like banging into your jacket oh. so that you're like okay. speaker by your by your clip it's just banging oh, yes. into your jacket so just get a bit of interference right. there just chilling now and you okay i'll hold it that's all right it's fine no that's that's work that's cool um so, so like your mum doing loads of different sports I, I love that I love the energy that's like in in a house like that because I think I didn't were you an only child 
No, I'm the oldest out of three, which is quite unusual because I think if you're going to achieve in sport, you've got to be the youngest. Well, so I, you, I was the oldest. No, I was, I was older. I'm ah, old, I'm, so well, weird. only a year older, only a year older. Okay. Um, I, I yeah. understand what you're saying there. Yeah, I, I definitely have seen that in siblings that the younger one tends to um, to be the best. Actually, you mentioned Matt Syed. Uh, in in bounce when he talks about the Polgar sisters, the chess players, the youngest was the best yeah. eventually, which is quite interesting. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I don't know, it, but the energy that you get from having someone in your household, like my parents didn't play sport, so they weren't actually well. Mum mum will to to this day talk about her marathons and things like that, but um, <laughs> but didn't, didn't weren't active. There wasn't like a sporting club that I was around, or there wasn't they we weren't actively playing together. Um, my sport came from my grandfather like introduction to sport came from grandfather and like um then then the, really the energy was between me and brad so there was that sibling rivalry yeah. but that's quite was there sibling rivalry as well as the energy from mum no no it was all me my my sister so it was my, me then my sister and my sister was a very different personality to me so my mum recognized that I was this kind of feisty you know quite I want to win at everything person yeah. so she absolutely loved taking me on you know taking me on at badminton absolutely thrashing the hell out of me like beating me 11 nil mm. and I was be like you know that was her way because she knew that that would make me want to get better my sister is completely different personality. My sister is so lovely and so kind and she wants to be friends with everyone. So when my mum tried to play sport with her, my sister's like, let's not do points. <laughs> <You know>, let's <like, laughs> all have a bit of fun. And my mum was like, what? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> You're not my child. And so my sister was like, not really kind of got into that. Even though she loved being active, she just wasn't kind of... I'll let you guys battle it out on the badminton court and I'm just going to go and play, make friends around here. So she was like that. So then there was six years between me and then my little brother came along. And of course, a boy and the reason why my mum didn't teach me football is because there was nowhere for me to go and play football. So women's football was still very, very, uh-uh. my mum mm. got loads of abuse for grow, you know, growing up mm. being a footballer. And my mum didn't teach me football because... Well, one of them was nowhere for just me to go. With the and she wanted me to go through that abuse. Careful. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right. We're good. Okay. There, you're away. I'm going to just keep my head really still. <laughs> so animated. Um, so she was <laughs> like, really? Uh... So she, um, yeah, so there was nowhere for me to go and play football. So she didn't teach me anything. So when my brother came along, suddenly my mum focused all her attention on my brother and teaching him football. So oh. it was kind of like by then, it was okay because I kind of reached a good standard at badminton. I started to do tournaments. This is probably the age of like 12. My brother was about five or six. So my mum was playing football with my brother. My dad then took, took me around to play like junior tournaments and everything like that. My poor sister just got like, dragged in the middle with like with both of us. So um, yeah, there was kind of I've never had any sort of sibling um sibling rivalry in sport my brother was a very very good footballer but he he never had that he he always said that um he just got really nervous and he mm. just he didn't want to go out there and play the big games where that was for me was like I loved it I loved playing those um you know when it was match point all and you know I thought yes this is it this is brilliant but my brother never had that my sister was just sort of walking around making friends with everyone so what drew you to badminton then really like what is what do you reckon was it that 
I think because I was good at all sports school, I was a really good hockey player. So I did have to make that decision. Right. Um, probably about 13 or 14, that they're like, right, you either have to choose because you're good at hockey, but you need to start practicing more. You need to go to a good, join a club and you need to give up your badminton, basically. So even this is the a good, is good, with... good point as well. Sorry to interrupt, but like that's a really good, yeah, that's a crucial right. moment as well, isn't it? Like there's so yeah. many people in sport or, uh, do you know what? Not even just sport, but like, studying like a an exam or yeah. something like that they, they don't know which way they're going to turn no. I think with sports sometimes it, it can be a little bit easier like there's one that you may have a bit more of a I always say the passion is the thing that should lead you should mm -hmm. lead probably a bit more with your heart on that one um because when it yeah, gets yeah. tough you're definitely going to need it what was what was that was that the similar was that kind of what it was like for you was it that badminton was the most passionate thing in your life right then I think it was, and this is going to, I I know it's going to sound quite weird, I think, but I, I had this feeling. So we, my school were national hockey champions, right? We were indoor hockey champions. We were the best school in the country, okay, at hockey. And I remember this one moment, and I was still undecided about which way to go. And because, you know, sport wasn't a job, remember, as well, for girl. You, you couldn't do sport. It wasn't seen as a career. Yeah. This is always going to be a hobby. So it wasn't a massive like career choice. It was like, which one are you going to get your hobby better at? You know, that's that's how everyone was kind of saying this to me. And I remember we were on a bus and we just won, you know, a, a competition. And my friend Megan, my friend Megan Parkhouse, who was England, I think she was England under 16 captain at the time. And she was, we were singing Tina Turner songs on the bus. We were like, simply the best and all that. And we were doing the whole hockey thing. Um, and then she turned around to us and she just went, I love you guys. I die for you. That's so amazing. And I just thought, you know what? I, no, I don't feel that. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, yeah, I like you guys, you know, but I was like, I don't have that. How Megan was feeling. Yeah. How Megan felt so part of a team, how Megan felt so something. And I just went, now you see, I'm one of 11 and I could get dropped. And I didn't like that. I yeah. liked being star, you know, yeah. and, 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 I, and I remember that feeling and I went, it's badminton because I could, I had more control. It was me or me and one other. And I think that was something that I think really resonated. And I just went, yeah, I know I'm always badminton because I just, I just know if I beat someone in badminton, I'm better. Yeah, okay. Whereas yeah. hockey and a team sport, it's really subjective. Like some coach will think you're good or a manager might think you're good, but the next one might not. And I yeah. didn't like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, uh, mm. Th that's an interesting... So that's what I made, and then that chose. Yeah, that, that's a really... I've never really actually heard of anyone probably openly admit that. I reckon you put, I doubt mm. you'd actually be in your own, your own boat there. I think there'd be a lot of people that would, that would be like that, but to open, have the awareness, I guess at that age, like, nah, this is, this is the, uh, this is the direction I want to do. I want to do something for me. Yeah. And I want to know that uh, it's yeah. a good point actually that you, it's almost like you're saying I want to have achieved it rather than it be someone else's. And then I'm just someone kind of, else. they're a part of it. Yeah. Because I still remember, you know, um, I remember did a, you know a couple of coaching days, and I remember one coach being, all, you know, raving about me, and the other coach just looking at me like, I oh, know, I don't, you know, she's just a runner, and I and I remember thinking, 
like, wow, this is a really weird sport. I don't know where I rank. Yeah. And that's what was really hard for me to, to work out. I didn't know how good I was at hockey, whereas I knew how good I was in badminton. I knew that I was the best in Bedfordshire, the best in the East region. And, you know, I knew that where I didn't know that in hockey. And, and, it, and it does depend on your team. It does depend on your teammates and everything like that. And I just couldn't, it didn't compute. And again, Megan saying those things about how she loved her team and she loved everyone. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was just, you know, and I love that you can. Be, I, I'm not saying you have to be like that to be in a team. No, because I'm sure there are many, and you've probably been in teams yourself, like where you've gone. You know what? They're not a, a massive team player. No, but it's about just knowing that, you know. And I think it's okay to admit that you're not the most teamy person. Yeah, but just don't try and hide it or try and pretend because that's the worst. I think when you get someone who you know is quite me 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 but actually mm. oh yeah no 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 i'm all about the team you're like yep. no you're not yeah, yeah no, it's the hiding of the real yeah that that's a that's a definite i've having played a team sport and playing a team sport and now coaching mm. in team sports as well like that's um you look for I see a team and they are, they're literally, there should be 11 individuals with, with the willingness to do the best they individually can, but collectively yeah. they've all got a common goal and that is to, to win. Yeah. And the interesting thing I find with team sports is like, as a cricketer, I want to go out there and as a bowler in cricket, I want to go out and take five wickets every game. But the reality and the, mm-hmm. and the statistics are against me. Like I know that I'm, that's not going to happen like that. I can strive for it and I can try for, to do that, but there could be someone else on my team that's having a, their day when when I'm playing. So that the ability within a team, your ego has to really take a back seat and you have to shift gears. Yeah. And it then depends on almost how adaptable you can be as a player. Like if your one sole goal is to be like the, the match winner in every game, uh, you're going to really struggle mentally, like because that's it's not going to happen. Like you're just going to have to continuously um, try, uh, and uh, like you're you're not going to you're not going to be that match winner. You're going to have to do different roles. You're going to have to play the backseat yeah. every now. And then. You're going to have to play Robin the Batman every now and then, and uh, <laughs> and that 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 really is what it's it's an interesting dynamic to see when people are like trying and trying and trying, and they're just not. They just don't understand it, and you're right. If they're fake about being a team player, yeah, that's that's not a not a nice place to be. I've I've definitely played with a f- maybe a few people that are like that, and but again, you you everyone has that ego in them. They want to be the person that oh, is getting yeah. the accolades. They hundred percent they want to be getting the accolades, and you and you should. Yeah. But also realizing within a team sport, the accolade changes sometimes. Like I think a great thing in teams that I've been in is that I've been in teams that have um acknowledged people that have done roles that weren't their primary role or weren't things that suited them or didn't go their way in a, in the day so for example yeah. i'll give you i'll give you a very quick example would be as a bowler you're bo- bowling downhill is lovely because obviously you're not running uphill but there'll be a bowler <laughs> at the other end who is running uphill and maybe it might be into the yeah. wind or something like that and oh. then in a team environment, you really hope that the team acknowledges that person that was coming up the hill who's trudged away all day has done a great job. Yeah. And, and that can be in any other sport. There's just, it could be a defender in like football or something like that that's that's done something that's not scored the goals, but has done something to really change the game and influence yeah. the game. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting dynamic I find in, in team sport for sure. It's not, and I think it can be, 
if it's not recognized and it can fester and i think yeah. that's part of my you know sort of and i know we've talked about this a lot about the ego is if we allow that if we allow an ego in in the players to to grow and grow without them understanding about ego or, or realizing it sometimes it, be, it can be too late and then it, it you go they can go too far mm. and and it's really hard to break it back down while they're still playing it's all right they when they do it reflectively and they're, they're finished but i think you know I know a lot will just, you know, oh, send them to the sports psychologist about being a team person. It's not about that. It's about the person mm. and understanding because, you know, I've, I've, I know what it's like when, you know, for many years, like it was, it was all about me and, in me and Nathan in, um, you see that <laughs> it's all about me, <laughs> not even Nathan, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, it's, it's so hard and then you know when you've got other players coming through and you're like uh excuse me how's that what are you doing <laughs> it's all about me you know it's it can be really quite and that you know that's in my late 20s i should be like working on that you know as a person you know that would have helped me as a player as well so there's it, it can be it can be detrimental to the player as well as the person as well and the team environment so i think it's something that athletes really need to work on it's not sports psychology it's it's just personable skills isn't it yeah that's that's one thing i'm really going to be big on with the the young lads that i'm going to be uh, mm. looking after this year and, and in the future is a big part of that is going to be obviously i teach mindfulness and and things like meditation yeah. and stuff like that so for them it's about it's going to be about looking at yourself as a strength i, I love yeah. uh, i'm reading jordan peterson's book and i there was a a line in it that he wrote which I thought was really good don't agree with everything but a, a, this little bit was if you really want to know yourself treat yourself like a stranger and that's a great way of looking at yourself if you look at yourself like a stranger then yeah you really can see not only the flaws that you have but the good traits that you have so I, I admire that person for this that and the other and you're seeing yourself in the mirror and and it's a great reflective practice. And I think the earlier you can do it and the, the better you yeah, can yeah. fit into an environment for sure. Um, that, it, that It's amazing that you are talking about this being uh, so like kind of driven by your own your own success. But then you played doubles and you, you yeah. played mixed. <laughs> and like, so you click, did you start singles? You started singles. Yeah. In badminton, you do, you do every discipline. So you start singles, ladies doubles and men's doubles and then mixed doubles. And you do that all as a genius because it's not like tennis where two singles players are just joined together and then they, you know, it's really specialist. And I was, I was a pretty good singles player, but as I'm only five foot three um, and I'm not the most naturally talented badminton player. So it's not lots of badminton shots that I can't do. Um, don't know why I, I never really had coaching so I'm kind of a bit self-taught so literally I hold I hold the racket wrong um okay. I um I can't do a lot of this there's all these shots where you do like all this with your wrist it's called reverse slice that way and then there's shots where you do like you cross the you know really like delicate angles for some reason I've never I just hit it I just kind of do that I can't quite do this delicate you know sort of actions with my with my my hand just, I just never got taught it. Um, I tried it, didn't really like it, so I didn't do it. <laughs> I just whack it really hard. So when I was doing, you know, and in singles, you need every single shot possible. You need to be able to play any shot from everywhere. And there was me just running around. I was going, oh my God, oh my God. You know, and I just thought, why am I running around? And when I can find someone else, 
onto the court who could run around for me and <laughs> I'll stand there shout yours a lot then I will get the last shot hit it on the floor and I'll take all the glory so I thought you know what there's something in this um so yeah and doubles just suited my personality more doubles is fast furious power um it's just all out bang you know battle 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 and I love that about I love that about doubles and then mixed doubles for me was just brilliant because I grew up playing against boys mm -hmm. because there were no girls. I beat all the girls. So the next step was boys. And I grew up with so much attitude from boys going, oh, not playing against her. She's a girl. And I went, <laughs> bring it on, get on that court. And I'd beat them. So boys never scared me. So when I played mixed doubles and all these boys were like, oh, because it's no, there's no PC in mixed doubles. It's like you hit at the girl because she's the weak one. That is, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, holding my, there's no PC, there's no equality whatsoever. It is the guy will smash at the girl to make her cry, basically. So the wow. girl feels like rubbish. So I'm like, you know, the, all the boys are like, all like this. And I'm going, yeah, 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 bring it on, bring it on. So I loved it. I love that dynamic of this, you know, six foot three Chinese guy, like staring at me going, you know, that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, is that all you got? Is that all you got? I guess a bit like a bowler and a batsman, you know, that sort of like, yeah. you're, you're Sledging. literally bowling it as hard as you can. Yeah. And I'm like, and I, you know, whack it away, go, is that it? Is that yeah. it? Is, mm -hmm. is that the best you got? Because I just hit that over there. You know what I mean? Like, that <laughs> is, is the same dynamic. And it's even more because it's the boy girl thing as well. So it's this really fascinating, um, it's quite funny to watch. And the, the guys now are smashing it. 230 miles an hour wow. so i had and they're aiming at my head yeah so i love but i loved it i love that that feeling you know of power you know when when i i could do that so mixed doubles for me was just i felt i i wasn't scared and i and i and i knew that i had a good quality of mixed doubles because all the other girls were like Oh, I don't like it. Then my, my partner's having a go at me because he said I'm rubbish, and I'm like, just tell him he's rubbish back, you know, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they were they wouldn't do that. So yeah, that's what I loved about it. Um, and gave up singles. There's just, yeah. so much to unpack from that. In in from uh, <laughs> Sorry, the, yeah. no, it's great. It's great. It's great. Like, but um, like the one, the one thing that I think was interesting was that you said you were like holding the racket wrong. And yet you yeah. still made it to an international standard. I think like even from a coaching point in a lot yes. of, a lot of sports Don't that, um, a lot of sports you, you get, uh, you, you get kind of drawn up into techniques and things like that of like how you should do it. Yeah. Textbook, textbook holding uh, of, oh. of like a bat in cricket, uh, like how you should kick a football or everything. But if you, if you're doing yeah. it wrong, uh, and it works, is it wrong? um that's exactly. yeah so oh, um i know and then really the next part from that was the fact that do you do you think that playing with guys had a huge impact on getting you to an international stage that allowed you to overtrain that like overtrain essentially was or, the or, overtraining or move, up the, move up the it was, um, yeah, progression it was here oh really yeah. okay yeah um Yes, so it helped me in the fact that it helped me here. It didn't help me in over, you know, I didn't overtrain or anything. It just helped me not to be scared of a guy 
and 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 now it's and again I don't want to go on the the male female sport thing because it's a whole another mm. topic but you know I see it with kids now and they, they you know I've got put two 15 year olds to go on and play mixed doubles together and you see the guy going oh, god I got her she's rubbish she's like oh she, oh she's hitting the net again yeah. And it's so frustrating because you know what? Guys are better. Guys are faster. They're stronger. They are better at sport. Okay. You know, I'm not, <laughs> it's the fact. When I was world number one, if I played against the top, I don't know, 15 year old in this country, so I'm world number one and I played against a 15 year old, number three in England, I would lose. Right. Just purely in the fact he'd be faster, hit it harder, and, and, and you know, whatever. I would not win. Mm. So no matter what we do or say, or the, you know, the whole quality in, it, in sport, it just, there's still this attitude because young boys will see that instead of what that girl can do, they'll see it, what she can't do. Oh, she can't do the same shot as me. She can't hit it as hard as me, or she's made more mistakes than me. Mm. And that is what's really frustrating. So I think playing against boys, I kind of knew that for so long. I've been, I've had it in my ear, you know, constantly. So I knew how to handle them. I just went, I'll get, you know, every time they hit a mistake and I was like, um, oh, it's all right for you, but not for me. You know, I, yeah. could, I could give it yeah. back. Um, so it helped me in that sense. However, the trouble is, is that, you know, we've got all these pathways and progressions and tick boxes now that you're right, that I don't think progression in sport. Why are we trying to monitor it? Why are we trying to? Gail's here. She needs to go on this line like this. Mm. Why? Why? You know? Why can't she go? Yeah. You know all all these other places, and I think that's where we've got to look at. Is it about can because she, she? I hold my racket like this instead of this, or is it because up here she yeah. knows how to handle herself? And I think that's where we've got to kind of look at sports people, and especially young sports people how we can we can monitor progression because really we can't no one no one's got a crystal ball no one knows what's going to happen that's fascinating really um thinking about the monitoring of like your mental side growing up because Mm. i i I think about it wasn't until i I didn't turn pro till i was 20 and my Mm. skill level wasn't there before that probably even when i was 19 my skill skill level wasn't at a pro level um but my, I always felt like my mental side was, but that was something that was potentially not being monitored or um, potentially not being sort of seen all the time. I, th- I think yeah. people knew I was driven, but I look at young kids now and I'm like, you know, at 14 years old, I don't really care how you do what you do. I look, look at the result, go backwards. I don't care how you do what you do. Yeah. Just can you show the right attitude? Can you? I actually got asked the other yesterday to write a um, a little quick questionnaire about how to make it as a professional sports person. And um, yes. yeah, it was it was a young young kids question. <laughs> and I said like, just find one, find a way of whatever it is. Yeah. You're not going to be the finished product, and you're not going to look like the the where you want to be at the end and show a good attitude like this very very just show you want to improve if you're going to yeah. go one of the questions was actually what do i what should i do if i'm going for a trial like whatever a trial yeah. would be and i said well go there and show that you want to get better 
just show that you want to get better because yeah. that a coach will like that. A coach will like that. Yeah. Um, rather than thinking that if I don't show them the best skill, I don't show them that I can run the fastest. Yeah. That comes later. But if you're willing to just yeah. know that, okay, I love the amount of self-awareness you had uh, as a youngster. Like that's amazing. And, and being aware of sort of that male, female dynamic that was going on. Mm. But, but yeah, you're mentally, you're at the same level. You're, you're right there with them. You, you're not it's, yeah. it's you've all you've admitted there and spoken about is just the physical difference physically yeah. a, a man can hit the can hit it harder yeah. than me and I can't hit it as hard that that's the limiting factor I have but everything else is limitless exactly and that's for you know but I got chucked off the pathway I was told I wow. won't make it because I couldn't do the skill wow. and that's that you know at 18 um you know I was you're right. I, I think mentally I was in a good place to have gone on the pathway, but because uh, physically and skill, I wasn't a bit like yourself. You know, you, you, you were a bit later. Mm-hmm. They told me that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't good enough and I won't make it. So, you know, I sort of, then I took three years out, went to uni, came back, and I, which made me even mentally stronger. I mean, if you go to uni, like no money, living off whatever you can live off, you meet different people you get a different perspective on life and then I came back and I was even I reckon I was even better mentally Mm. but you know still had to prove myself for another two years to even get people to even think about me so it is it's it's frustrating because this is when you know as soon as money comes into it and I, I don't know if it's the same for you if when money and funding come into it suddenly oh, got to tick box, got to, you know, got to um, show what we've got for, you know, and it's like sometimes you can't put, you can't put something on, you know, you can't, this person has got to do, you know, it, it's really frustrating. And this is what's a good thing about funding athletes and a bad thing about funding athletes because we're, we're humans. We are not a robotic software program. That's, you know, if you fund us, we will therefore get medal. It no. doesn't work like that. And that's what's, yeah, that's sometimes I, that's the only thing that I just sort of leaves me a little bit, you know, sort of a bit of a bit of taste, I guess, about sport. Yeah. That funding and tick boxing comes first. Medals and titles becomes, is, is more important than the person. Mm. Um, and, and that sometimes I just can't quite get my head around. It's definitely a little bit different in in cricket. We I know an Olympic sport is funded differently. It's completely it's all funding mm-hmm. based. Um, and I, I've I've met and and I know people who are on funding programs and had it cut depending on how that sport has yeah. done in the year. And it's, it is a brute. It is really a brutal because a brutal world to be in because you can um you can be doing the the best you've ever done, but collectively yeah. your your sport is not. And then bang, it's gone. It's out. It's out it could be out of the Olympics. Yeah. You may not have it place to go so yeah that's a different dynamic that i've i've never had to to deal with um and yeah that that progression of of getting someone as a, holistically really go, going in the right mm-hmm. direction you have to invest that hoping that gail if i'm investing in you then in three years time that investment pays off but realizing in that three-year gap there's going to be some highs some lows potentially lows first before we go high again mm-hmm. um it's it's real yeah for me hard. exactly exactly how you said holistic and we can do that in sport we can and it and the way we do that about with holistic and and it, 
I might go off if I hope I'm trying to get this across well is circles mm. okay at the moment we've got conveyor belts now we need circles so whether you invest in me and you know what I don't get a medal but because I've had such a good experience holistically and as a person keep me mm. I've had you know I, why am I not coaching why am I not coaching mm. p- kids because I've been on a conveyor belt and I've not been kept in this holistic environment I've been conveyor belt, conveyor belt, kick, flicked off. If they would, if that's why I still can't, you know, there's this bitter taste I feel. If we'd have gone like a holistic approach and I'd had, you know, someone invested in me as a person, find out what I wanted to do, what I wanted in life, I would be here. I would be in the circle of sport. You know, I'd be much more engaged. I want to, I want to give back more. I'd want to be part of it because someone invested in me. So I want to give that back to somebody else coming through. And we, you know, create more circles. We get more of that, you know, inviting environment. But we haven't got that because of funding, sport. No, you're not good enough. Flick off. Flick off. So, yeah, that's why. And, and, you know, I look at Europe and they do it much better. They don't have a UK sports system. Europe have a much, much better, you know, all my friends um, from Bamberton in Europe, all coach or manage or you know sort of do something and and i'm like oh wow you know it's brilliant they you know even if they're not doing it it's a you know, full-time job they're doing it as a volunteer or they're doing it this and i'm like wow you know because it has such a good experience yeah. yeah that's actually more the the management side of it need to have a real realization that the looking of the athlete is not necessarily to create a medal because if they don't get a medal they may actually create longevity in the sport they may create someone that's invested in in getting back to the sport and then yeah imagine having imagine having you coaching young girls in badminton right now like even yeah like how 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 vested that would be in their in their whole interest of of the just the sport itself um yeah yeah, that's a sad. It's a, I mean, that's a bit of a sad story, really, if you look at it that way. Because you know. UK sports job is to fund, is to get medals. There's no other yeah. remit other than to win medals. Yeah, that's it. And it's... so you got, and that gets put down to the national governing bodies. And that the man, you know, the performance directors, their job is to win medals. Is it is it a job for to get Gellems to inspire young girls? No, that's not on their list of mm. of funding. So. Sport. And that's that is because of the whole system and the funding approach. But yeah, that is just another approach to sport that it has to have mm-hmm. everywhere. Like it isn't just a vehicle for winning; it's a vehicle for for everything. Um, exactly for inspiring. I think uh, it would change. I think more people talking about it. You know, I know you've been great about talking about sort of the holistic approach and and sort of mentoring as well. So the more people, more athletes sort of talk about it and go look. Mm what you know what's going on here you know there are other ways than this you know gold medal winning mentality that we have you know title winning medals that's the only thing you're good of good for there are there are other ways um we just we just need more voices and yeah. and yeah so when you took that three-year gap out and you went to mm. to university were you still training well, as someone told me that they didn't believe in me and they told me that I was pretty much rubbish and I wasn't going to make it, I'd say training would be a very... <laughs> <laughs> but you but you were playing or anything? Did you even play badminton in that three, three weeks? 
I think I had a couple of rackets and now and again I'd pop up and just you know turn up maybe once every two or three weeks I'd turn up at some sort of like badminton hall or whatever no I didn't so, play much so when you I, came I back was drinking a lot <laughs> at university when you came back were <laughs> yes. you were you like shot were you rusty were you was it was it a clear-cut decision you'd made as well that you'd like right I'm gonna I go think it was <laughs> Olympics honestly right I swear to god the, the, the reason for me, I played, so I did my third year. Um, and then I remember going, I can't pay my rent. <laughs> right. So I was thinking, I've got no money. Anyway, I heard about this tournament and I was like, oh, there's prize money in this tournament. So I literally found two rackets and turned up at this tournament. And because I was so desperate for the money, I thought, I have to get through to the semifinals. Okay. Otherwise, I can't pay my rent. And it was, I swear to God, I was like a woman possessed. I was like, like I was just smacking the shuffle everywhere. I was on fire, right? And then I got, you know, got semifinals, got my check. I was like, thank God, you know, I can, you know, literally wow. like handed it over. And it's funny afterwards, I thought, hang on a sec. I, I actually beat a couple of people that were on full-time training. Um, I lost to some people, you know, some really good players. You know, it's not like, but I did okay against them as well. And I just sat there and thought, what you know I've been I've been drunk for three years you know and I it's like and that's what started the cogs you know sort of I thought if I I've got I will have no funding I the Sydney Olympics were two two years away what you know I've got I've got no job at the moment why not go for it Mm. and that's what started it all off so yeah then I went into full-time training but I had to fund everything pretty much myself Wow, so that's I had a, very very limited yeah that's a tough that's a tough place to be in especially coming out of uni as well um yeah probably not yeah. probably not an employment home. yes i bar work I, yeah. i'm very good behind a bar yeah i was like you know if you wanted a smirnoff ice down bedford high street i was the girl to go to <laughs> <laughs> i was amazing um but yeah that's what you have to do these things so i would train in you know two three times a day in the daytime then go and work all night to try and get some money and then you know sort of that's that was my life for two years just to see if I could get to the Olympic Games. So you um, m- must have had a little bit of a mindset change as well to go right I need if, I'm gonna have to be a bit more professional about this and and definitely because you're going up against knowing if you were going to try and get to the Olympics there's nations um, mm. like the Asian nations that are very good yeah um, so the standard was going to be high so what was your sort of where was your mind at knowing that you were going into a standard that was that was going to be a lot lot higher do you know what i don't i just remember so i was 21 22 23 i just remember i remember this time i I remember just i didn't even think i just did I think that it was, um, there was no, it was, I, I don't remember trying to prove a point. I don't remember. I think it's because Sydney was always on my radar as a kid. And I think, you know, I thought, well, I'll be 23. Sydney, Australia is always going to be the glamour one. I think because it's always been in my mind as a kid, I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, see if I can get there. Whether I was more professional or whether I was, better at training you know I was I was okay I was just doing what I had to do I was still young 
even though I've sort of learned a lot of uni, I still haven't put things into practice yet. I've definitely better, but I wasn't still quite the full package as it were. Mm. Um, and I was doing okay. And, you know, sort of, you know, you see the improvements. I was listening, I was working, and I was climbing the world rankings. And to get it to Sydney Olympics, so you've got to be in the top 16 of the world rankings. And I, and in mixed doubles back then, mixed doubles, the Asian countries didn't really do much. They didn't, because of the male female thing, it was really quite oh, hard yeah, for a lot of the countries like Malaysia, Indonesia. They didn't really have that kind of balance for, for mixed doubles. So mixed doubles was kind of the one, the easiest one to go for. So when, when the cutoff came, I finished 17th. So oh. I was one place out. So that, so I was 23. You know, something had been in my mind since I was a kid and I was one place out. And that's when things started clicking into place. Right. Just so when you we missed it. Like, well, yes. I hadn't, because I was just doing it. was, And that's why it's quite hard for me to remember that time. I was just going along with whatever. Mm. And I, I hadn't really stopped and really made that massive investment. I was just going along. And as you know, when you when you make that decision to really be professional to really go for it you mm. have to give everything yeah and it's your soul your mind it is everything and you have to commit and i hadn't got there yet yeah it was when i missed out then i went ah <laughs> mm. right yeah so it was it was horrible but it was one of the best things that ever happened to me um you know, crying, being punched in the stomach, you know, that feeling because I wasn't there. But sometimes mm. in sport, you need that because it shows how much you really, really want it. Yeah. And you need that, you need that little bit of a, um, a setback to, to use it as yeah. a little bit of a springboard. And I've, I've had loads of those and it's, it's how you view, view that. I, I love the, the idea of how you change your mindset and, 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 yeah. then then you're so right that you do have to switch into another gear and i see so many yeah. people talking about i want to make it as a professional um in anything yeah. and, and an olympic sport i think is even another level because like you said earlier as in a team sport you can rely on the team as a collective a little bit more so you can you yeah. you just need to make sure as a collective you're going in the right direction and you can even play on a day where someone might be ill but they can really scrape through with the performance and the team still wins but it as yeah. an individual and at an Olympics, like you're going for that one day, no like that hiding. one, that one race, that one throw, that, that one match, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And it's four years and you've got to be on it. And Olympic mm -hmm. athletes is where I just think go to another level because, uh, and I, I still don't, I still think the commitment has to be there in any sport as well. Don't, don't get me wrong, yeah. but you, you realize like what it takes and you speak to people like, what is it that you were doing? And it's like, well, you know, that, that party that you were kind of thinking about going to and your mates are going to and you want to go and hang out <laughs> late at night yeah you don't go you don't go to that that's what you don't go no. to uh you, right. you know you know that that sort of uh that little bit of that friend you wanted to hang out with and just go shopping with or whatever and go to the cinema yeah you don't do that either um no. and it's it's all that sort of stuff that people kind of forget it's like oh and you know that food you really like eating yeah that kind of cut <laughs> cut that one out as well um it, sometimes it, it it's just gets lost in actually and it's very hard to describe to people because you have to i think you really do have to have got it at some point and have tried to have lived it and understood stood it it's very hard to map it out to someone and and enforce on the someone as well 
You can't enforce yeah, that mindset the best on way someone. I describe it. If you've got your comfort zone and we all, we've all been there and we've all trained and we all, you know, sort of, I've got our, and this is where I was, I was in my comfort zone and I was just doing what I've always done, going along with everything to really achieve, to make that breakthrough, you need to step out of that comfort zone. Mm. So, you know, we, and that's, but I didn't know that. And, you know, and young, young aspiring sports people, they won't know yet. And, Mm. you know, you can send out these questionnaires and and it's, it's, it's re- <laughs> you can say yeah you know you've got to commit blah 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 blah. you can just say the, the the talk but there will come a time where they will be they'll realize where their comfort zone is and how do they not someone telling them to get out of their comfort zone how do they decide i've had enough of this to get to the next stage i need to jump out of it and we all do it in all in all life you know it's whether it's business mm. um you know person whatever it is we all do this comfort zone. If you want to then make that you, but it's got to be come from you. You can't tell anyone to do it. You, you know, even though we know, <laughs> get out of your comfort zone. You yeah, know, trying to yeah. tell people that, but they, they themselves, and that's what I had to do. I literally went, if I'm going to achieve, I need to work harder and it's got to come from me. Not someone telling me to do it. I need to do it. You know, like, tra- you know, winners train when no one else is watching and stuff mm. like that that's what you need to do and 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 they're the ones that make it they're the yeah. ones that it comes from them to make that decision um and and some people happen when they're 18 which is fantastic some people won't happen until 23 24 you know again this is like this whole sometimes we just don't know when it's going to click um yeah. and for me it was 23 years old which is quite late yeah. in, in terms of that yeah definitely that and that that experience of having a, a setback comes in many different ways. Like for me, it was a, it was an injury. Like my one was an injury. And then, um, yeah. for you, it was actually not winning. Uh, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a trauma. And you say that as a, it sounds, sounds a big word, but it, it kind of is. It's like a traumatic experience at the it time. Is. And, and you go, yes. right, well, I've, I've nearly lost what I wanted and, or, or it's actually actualized what you really wanted you've really understood because yeah. you you probably didn't know at the time what you deep down wanted but when it wasn't no. even there it and it was like in it was in grasp and you kind of felt oh it's, it's going to happen 16 places like mm-hmm. it's going to happen but no nah, it, it, you just won away and then it's right now i do want this okay shift in the next gear yeah. and, off, and off we go um yeah. so so you're you're heading that was then four years till the next olympics was going to be Athens yeah um and what what what's sort of going on in that period yes, like, were you always with cycles every four years <laughs> yeah so were you you always no. teamed with Nathan yeah. were you always no you were so always... Nathan went to Sydney for men's um for men's doubles so Nathan and I are the same school year so we've known right. each other since we were 15 and we played together as juniors so we had three years 15 16 17 uh together then I, I got told I was not going to be funded. He got told he was the golden child and he was going to get funded. So he went off and became a full-time bouncer as I went off and did my uni and, and whatever. When he came back from Sydney, you know, and I had made that realisation and suddenly when everyone came back from their holidays and rest periods, I'd been training really hard. And when he came back, suddenly everyone's like what's Gail doing Gail's like I'd lost loads of weight I had like muscles I was ripped I was you know because I'd just been like this animal possessed 
suddenly people started like noticing and they were like, she's, she means business. And it was um, after about a year, so I think it's 2001, um, you know, and I'm sure there's people, you know, you have connections with in sport. And I, I talk about Nathan a lot in business uh, talks and everything as well. And um, all I can say is I'm, I am so grateful to, that Nathan was around <laughs> the same time as me. Nathan and I, when we go on court, it's like telepathy. It's like chemistry. It's like magic. And sometimes you have those connections in sports. So whether it's, you know, two midfielders in a, in a football pitch mm. or a, a midfield on a striker that kind of know where they are, you know, whether you have that in cricket, I don't know. It's a bit, maybe you have that. It's a little bit more disjointed. It's a bit more individual. Yeah. Yeah. So, but sometimes when like, I didn't, we didn't have to talk to each other. We didn't even have to like each other. I just knew he was there. And then I knew he was there. I could feel it. It's it's really, really strange. And in 2001, I just sort of looked, turned around to her and went, we need to be playing together because I know you are, it's like, you are my destiny. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And he goes, I, I kind of know that. And I said, and he said, right, let's do this. And from 2001, that was it. We played, I think our first tournament, you know, a massive Grand Prix tournament in Malaysia. We went and got some semifinals just like that. So, you know, we knew that we had something going. Um, yeah, and that was it. So how you, as a, because obviously it's an English nation, um, uh, Great Britain, badminton's not, it's not a major sport, but in the Asian nations, it kind of is. It's a big, it's a big sport yeah. for them. Things like table tennis, um, badminton. How, yeah. what, like, what what is the difference really? Like, what really is the difference between these nations? What makes them so goods is it just merely the amount of people that are playing it and the funding that goes into it um and then that just creates a big pool of people that they can choose from and it's more participation xyz same way it works in football mm-hmm. and things like that or is it like they're mm-hmm. doing something and because i know matt Said, even in his book again he spoke about how he met a, a chinese player that changed his or chinese coach that completely changed mm-hmm. how he played and that was um something yeah. so did you even get access to people like that Yes, so you're right. So the first thing you said about being popular, the more stars, if you if more people see it on TV or there's more opportunities to play, then more people play and so on. You get these, you know, more more opportunities. So 100 million people in China play badminton. So wow. when you see hear that, you're going to get Oof. some good players out of it. Uh, the system, you know, if you succeed in sport in, in Asia, you get, you know, it's a bit like the footballers, they get paid loads of money. So again, you're going to get more kids wanting to be like their, their you know, sort of role models and stars. Are they doing anything better? Well, physically, okay, they're lighter. Right. You know, so there's a build, a smaller build. And so I weigh, right now I weigh about 63, 64 kilos. And that's probably what I weighed when I was playing. The number one Malaysian badminton player, Lee Chong Wei, um, men's singles, he weighed about 67 kilos. <laughs> so he wow. is like, just, if you see any of his body, and him and Lin Dan, must, Lin Dan may be Chinese, um, he must have been about 69 kilos. These guys are so light and agile and nimble. And, you know, they're five foot nine, five foot ten, and that weight. So you can imagine that speed around the court and plus yeah. the power to weight ratio that they produce. Physically, you know, they have they are ideal because they just I know it sounds 
the, the springiness and that, you know, sort of being able to do that. However, we have got, we have had European players too that have reached that level as well. Mm. It's just a little bit harder and we get more injuries because of the weight and everything like that on the, on the court. Um, then I think, yeah, I have learned a lot from other players. I've got my phone coming in. Yeah. Um, then also you've got, uh, I have learned from um, different players as well. So there was a great coach called Rexy Manaki. Now Rexy won gold in Sydney for men's doubles. And what I learned from him was just this bit, more, probably a bit more fun and enjoyment in hard work. And that sounds really stupid to say, but in this country, it felt very like, right, you know, quite military, right, get down, we're going to do a hard circuit. But he had this ability to make hard work fun. Mm. And he just changed a bit of that mentality of thinking about hard work. And so, and, and that's what, because it was just sort of um, a bit more normalised in, you know, he was saying that we were all, all quite lazy. We were sort of all offended by that. But he had this ability to just, you know, sort of do a few training techniques from what he did. And suddenly we're like, actually it can be a lot more fun and you, we got more we got better skill from it so yeah you do learn a lot from different nationality coaches as well um yeah it's it's one of those and it's, what's really hard for us as a nation in badminton is that how do we need really really fit really fit really really strong athletic uh, you know athletes to play badminton however if they're really good if they're like that why the hell are they going to choose badminton? Right, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, our problem okay. because, yeah, hi, guys. Okay, you're really great athletes. I know you've got a whole load of other sports to choose from, but choose badminton. What you'll do is play against 100 million Chinese players and pretty much the whole of Asia. Yeah, Fancy that's it? Point. <laughs> you know, wow. It's really, yeah, it's really hard to keep kids into badminton because football want them, cricket want them, rugby, yeah. hockey, you know, because they're going to be really talented at other sports. And you know what? I don't blame them because it is a ridiculously, you know, I've been across, I've been out in Asia and like I played the China Open and the, the first round you play against China, second round, China, third round, China. And these are people you've never even heard of and they're still bloody awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, you're just like, oh my God, you know, so it is, it's very hard to kind of like go, pick badminton, we're great. Yeah, that's um, that's not easy. I think role models plays a big part in that. I mean, you're one of very yeah. few role models that are going to be in the sport in the UK. It's I actually couldn't pass past you and Nathan. I couldn't tell you many other badminton because me growing up, like I actually saw you competing in the Olympics and I was watching your match yeah. on the Olympics and like that. That was kind of I was like, oh wow, uh, Great Britain has uh, we, we've we've got some good badminton <laughs> players <laughs> like uh, yeah, so. Great. So yeah, because you do, you associate table tennis, China, badminton, China, Thailand, Malaysia, things like that. Um, So the the Olympics, when the Sydney Olympics, not Sydney Olympics, the Athens Olympics that you got to, um, talk us through that experience. I think that it was we was an outside chance of a medal because I think Nathan and I were ranked four in the world so we knew that we were potential for bronze we we didn't think anything above bronze um I remember walking around the village because I was 27 at the time and I just remember being really emotional because you know like of all the times you can give up and you know wearing that track suit it, it you just think of all the people that kept you going mm. um 
and I was sort of I was aware of some pressure um I was nervous you know the media caught cottoned on they were going you know they do the whole thing like people to keep an eye out and you know sort of suddenly there was a bit of media interest and we were like oh my god you know we've made it into a paper someone's got my name um but then you're in a bubble and you go out there and you and you just know you've got a job to do Mm. um I don't remember much I remember the quarterfinals we beat China a good Chinese pair and we beat them Nathan was terrible in that match but we managed to hold on and win that then the semi-finals we were supposed to play the number one seeds from Korea and they've never lost in two years right this Korean pair Kim Dong Moon and Ra Kim Min right the, the one of the most the best mixed doubles pair ever because they are considered the just awesome and we we were drawn to meet them in the semi-finals so we're watching their quarter-final match and Kim Dong-moon got the, the basically the jitters he no idea why he couldn't even hit the shuffle something happened to him and he just completely folded so the Danish pair beat them and oh, me wow. and Nathan were watching them going Oh, what, what, what? <laughs> like, oh my God, it's Kim Dong-mi just lost. And we were like, because oh, we knew we, we, we've never lost the Danish pair. So we were like, uh, we've got the Danish pair for a gold medal, basically. And we were yeah. like, no way. So yeah, we had to play against semi-finals against Denmark. We were like, this game, brilliant. We were so confident. Oh, amazing. And of course, we were, yeah, I know. We were, that's why it's a bit of luck. And these things happen in the Olympics. And um so then we beat them and we we're in the Olympic final up against the reigning champions who, who won gold in Sydney from China. So I think that one of the, the one of the things that I do remember is walking out of the final. I was, I was a complete nervous wreck beforehand. I remember walking out and suddenly this just crowd of people appeared, like GB people. And what I heard was basically people had landed at the airport and they just went, and when they landed, like, there's some British people in a final in badminton, there's still tickets. So everyone had descended, literally from the airport, straight to the badminton. Um, and they obviously didn't know how badminton kind of like crowd in. <laughs> they turned into a cricket, basically turned into a cricket barmy army. They were singing <laughs> barmy army, right? There was beach balls going about. There's a lilo, I remember this lilo being thrown. I was like, I'm walking out going, I think they're in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, I think they've got the tickets in the wrong place. But the atmosphere, the noises are just brilliant. And I was like, wow, this is absolutely awesome. So, yeah, it was a um, bit of an experience. And the, the we got absolutely thrashed in the first game. And you can see people going, oh, dear. <laughs> you know, it's a bit awkward. It just turns out and they got absolutely thrashed. Then I remember thinking, this can't get any worse. I'm going to close my eyes swing my racket and hope for the best that I'm going to connect with this guy's smash. It worked. Um, don't tell anyone basically, but that was the key to my Olympic comeback. Uh, I was basically, I closed my eyes and just, <laughs> oh, it works. <laughs> um, we won the second set and then we were leading in the third, uh, got everyone's hopes up and in true British plucky style, we lost the lead and the Chinese went and won. So, oh. yeah, silver. Yeah. But there would have been, like you said, there would have been a little bit more notoriety on that, that match because the 2004 Olympics wasn't necessarily um, 
like there wasn't loads of gold medals compared to no. Beijing, obviously. So no. when the fact yeah. that there was a there was an Olympic gold medal on the on the cards, t- cameras would have definitely been on. There was more reporting. I mean, like I said, I was watching, so I mean, yeah. it was something that drew the nation's attention. Um, and I do remember, I do remember sort of like the the scenes when you had won the semi final and like your celebration. I still actually have it in my mind of when you'd you'd won it, and <laughs> and then yeah, you you you're going into that final with a little bit more pressure but you didn't feel it until you were in the in the stadium then no not at all I think because you I guess because you know you're guaranteed a medal I think there was that pressure kind of goes off yeah um and and but also I didn't really know how to feel it's my kind of my first ever major final and I I didn't know how to feel I just remember being so nervous I what really annoys me is the fact that three if I'd have played that final three months later we would have won and and I know it was me and it was my lack of I was the only one out before that was had never been in a final um, a major championships final like Nathan had been in world championships final the Chinese had obviously won the Olympics and I know it was my inexperience and I just didn't quite feel confident enough I almost felt like I was the lucky one to be on that court like Nathan deserved to be there the Chinese pair deserved to be there but little me, I didn't quite feel that I should have been on that court. And that's one of the biggest, but then you learn, you know, and I, yeah. I remember coming off that court and I remember going, I will never, ever feel like that again because I know that cost us the gold medal. Wow. So it wasn't the lack of the skill or whatever. It was my thinking of I'm lucky and honoured to be on this court, not I should be on this court. Right. So then was that a bit of a mentality change for when you went to the World Champs yeah. and, and the Commonwealth? Because yeah. you'd yeah. already won the Commonwealth Games leading into that. But obviously you don't get yeah. as, you don't get the variety of nations in the Commonwealth. But no. the world's a bit different. Um yes. so what so is that was that really it's, it's harder that was to a win a world championships in the Olympics. Really? Yeah. Explain, explain. It, literally. I li- I it was my it was my change, my turning point so 27 years old olympic silver so i actually like my olympic i love my olympic silver medal more than any other medal because i wouldn't have got those medals without that silver because it changed me it changed me to i will never ever feel like the weak one on that court or the or the the worst player that's how i felt on that in that final and I, I, ref- I just was like, never. I know that cost me. So every single match from then on, I was like, I deserve to be here. I am equal with everyone. And I will, you know, and show that. And, and it did, it changed me. We went, literally won everything from that moment because I don't know, I just refused to. I, it is such, it is that extra 1%, 2%, whatever it was, it mm. was, and also, you know, wasn't but more skillful. I wasn't fitter. Or so I probably, you know, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. I don't know. It was just here. I just it was a belief. Refused. It was a de- yeah, it sounds like totally. it was a definite belief and an an amazing it experience. Me. Yeah, I felt so annoyed that I allowed myself to feel like that. Or even though it was true, fact, <laughs> the fact was it was true. But I let the fact of it determine the outcome or determine my feelings. Mm. and that I didn't like and I and I think as a sports person you need to know how to turn yes you might be the underdog yes you might be on paper the weak person but that's paper 
how do you not allow that fact to determine the outcome? And that's how, that's what I, you know, refuse to ever let in my mind again. Yeah. So one second. So you you go then so you so you then go to the uh, the uh, Beijing Olympics is but yeah. I, I'm massively assuming that this was a year that China did not want to uh, mess up or not have a gold <laughs> in their pocket. So what was that like going in? And I mean, we can even talk about the experience of Beijing as as a whole from a, just being there because that was a really big year for British Olympics as well um yeah so what was that that kind of experience from first off from your point of view and your own side of it and being in badminton and then as a whole so Beijing I think obviously badminton we've been to Beijing for so many years like we were quite used to it we were kind of helping the other nations tell them about Beijing and about China and how their mentality is what the the culture's like because a lot of sports have never really been there before so it's quite nice to be teachers on that um, in the Bampton sense that I knew that this was going to be my last Olympics. I knew London had been announced, but I knew that mentally I'd, I'd had enough. So for me, I was like, right, Beijing, it's gold or nothing. I'm, I'm out of this sport. So I had a kind of, you know, sort of a bit, it was a bit, um, felt like the last, you know, her last hurrah or whatever. Mm. Um, but I also knew how difficult it's going to be because you're right, Beijing, home of Bampton, the poster pair of the Beijing Olympics were the pair that, you know, um, that beat us in, in Athens, you know, that girl, um, Gao Ling, she got a new partner. He was this guy who was smashing over 240 miles an hour. They were all plastered everywhere. The sellout was badminton, 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 you know, forget the hundred meter finals. It was all about the wow. badminton. So we were very aware that, you know, all this attention was going to be on us. And then we, the first round we had, so they drew it out like with lots, like, you know, the balls in the bag. And the first round was us versus the girl who beat us in the final with her new partner. So oh. the poster pair versus us, first round Beijing Olympics. And I was like, oh, oh my God, you're kidding me. So, you know, in theory, this should have been the final and it yeah. was the first round. So um, I think I was like, part of me was gutted because, you know, I was like, okay, it's, you know, this, this is what's going to happen. Then you have to obviously change that mindset. So, right, I know this is going to be my last one. You know, my family have come out to China. And when you see your mum walking around Beijing, it's really, really weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, my mum's not a traveller. She's like, woo, you know, all right, Gail. It's a bit different from Bedford, isn't it? You're like, yes, mum, <laughs> just, just, just like, oh, I tried to order some chicken. You're like, oh, God, oh, God. You know, just stick to McDonald's, mum. Just don't have anything else. Um, you know, I remember walking out to this match and, um, you know, it was the crowd just going mental for the Chinese pair and, you know, just four people cheering for me and Nathan. And um, wow. we won the first game, lost the second, and we were losing by quite a lot in the third. And I just remember thinking, I'm not ready to stop yet. I'm not, I'm not there. My mom's come all the way from Bedford, you know. Mm. Um, and it was like, we, we got it back level and we won the last, we, we won the last two points. We, we beat them. And I remember just going crazy, going, oh my God, we're just beating the gold medal favorites. My mum was like, woo, going crazy. And then realized that 10,000 people were just staring at us. And, you know, we had beaten their poster pair and, you know, that was not part of the plan. 
and we oh, had wow. to get security to kind of usher us out because of the the oh, just the booing and yeah it was this you have just been you know this was not in the script the chinese script said that they were going to go and win the gold and you've just beaten them so we were just like oh my god we just yeah we're just awesome you know it was just brilliant we're on such a high so we were through to the quarterfinals and we up against korea and we were obviously playing brilliant we went out there played amazing you know really really good game the koreans played a little bit better and we ended up losing so the koreans actually went on to win the gold medal and our, my, our official placing is fifth and it was one of those really awkward horrible things because people kind of look at you and go you beat the gold medal favorites but now you've lost mm. and you're like yeah and but you won silver and now you haven't won silver you've not won a medal and you feel completely like a useless you feel useless and then when you go you rightly said beijing gb started winning loads of medals and you do walk back into village and you feel like, oh, sorry guys, lost. And I just, it was horrible. It's just this weird, weird, horrible feeling. Um, and I think it's, it's taken me a lot to kind of, you know, sort of come to terms with. But I do, you know, my mum thought, I always joke and my mum said, you know, she gave me this hug and she was like, did you try your best? You know, like <laughs> as mums do. And I thought, oh, of course it mum, you know, it's a stupid question. And I, and I do, and I, I, I I retired after that because I, I know that I couldn't have done any more oh, mentally, wow. physically, everything about me, I, you know, fifth place was my gold medal. Um, and looking around, you know, there was a different vibe with the athletes as well. You know, everyone's winning medals and I knew my place was done. It was like, mm. you know, that kind of the old person passing the baton on to the younger ones. You know, there was Tom Daly at 14 years old and, and there was, you know, Rebecca Adlington, 18 years old, winning medals. And you're just like, yeah, I'm not, it's not me anymore. This is yeah. uh, my next stage of my life. So, yeah, it, it felt right to just suddenly go, that's it. I'm, I'm done now. Wow. So did you get to kind of enjoy the rest of the Olympics whilst you were there? Or were you kind of whilst you were fun. making that? <laughs> last you, Olympics. Yeah, were you were you kind of making that decision whilst that was going on, or or did 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 you get to enjoy any of it? I did a bit, and then it it, it was a different. Yeah, you know, it's great when you got a medal and you you sort of woo, just get me a free drink, and you know, uh, then suddenly I just felt I felt you know a few, after a few days I was ready to go home and didn't want to be part of the closing ceremony. Um, you know, it's understandable, you know, I know athletes that have literally left the minute they've lost, they've gone home, they just can't cope with it, they can't handle it. So, um, yeah, I don't blame anyone for it. So I think I lasted about three or four days and then then I was on that plane home. Wow. Wow. So you announced your retirement and um, and then what was that kind of, that what was that transition like for you? I think this is a good kind of moment to, for us to both talk, mm. both, both of us kind of, Again, what were you? T- you said you were twenty-seven when you retired. No, thirty-one. Well, thirty-one. Sorry, twenty-seven at Athens. 31. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So you're kind of relatively that, young in in the sport. Yeah. Physically, I could have carried on. Yeah. Physically, I'm quite naturally strong, and I I could have happily carried on. Mentally, I'd gone. I I probably mentally went about. 2007 I, I was really really struggling to kind of keep that motivation going 
sort of wanting to know what else I could do and all that sort of stuff. So I mentally had gone. And, and again, we've, we've mentioned ego, but I really thought that once I announced my retirement, I was going to get offers from everyone oh. <laughs> about, you know, come and do this, come do this job, come do that. And I was like, and then it was like, oh, hello, hello. <laughs> and you realize that, um, you know, I sort of went in and I got, I got three months help um with cv and stuff like that and i put my got my cv and i realized how blank my cv was mm. and that was shocking my cv said i did my university degree and then i played badminton and i'm 31 years old and in most people when they're 31 they're climbing the career ladder and i've done bugger all to kind of add to that cv while i was playing badminton and i and you know, but we can all, you know, I should have done more. I could have done more. It, I, it's my own, you know, sort of, I should have been a bit more, you know, sort of long-term thinking and stuff like that. There's lots of things we can say. But the fact of the matter was that I wasn't getting anything. And, it, you know, so we talk about you, sports people die twice. They die, obviously, <laughs> when they die, when they die. But they yeah. die when they, when, they, when they retire. And it is, it's like it's grief it yeah. hurts and you know it's been part of your life since you were a young kid you have to and we've talked about that commitment it's more than a commitment it's your your soul it's your heart it's your gut you put everything into it and that's why sometimes people don't quite understand when you know athletes talk about transition because they go you know another person will go, oh it's just a job you know you're so lucky to do something you love and like yes i get that but it's so hard to try and explain. It's like being ripped apart. It's it's being, you know, feeling old, you're not good enough, whatever. It's it's being at that cliff edge and then suddenly going, wee. Well, it's, it, yeah. it's the way I kind of describe it to a lot of people is is imagine the thing you love doing the most. What what is it that you yeah. is it is it going to the pub and seeing your friends, having that drink on a Saturday night and meeting up with everyone? Yes, it is that. Yeah. Okay, now you can't do that ever again. Exactly. Now what? Or like it's it, it's something that really think of something that really sets your soul on fire and you're fired up about it and you mm -hmm. love it and you're passionate about it and then it's gone the next day. It's out yeah. of your life. Then how do you feel? And and you're so right, you do die twice and, and also I'm so aware of some of the stuff that you do as well with uh, athlete transition and speaking to athletes and, and helping them as well. And, and that there's, there's no manual. There's no manual for everyone because no. everyone's sport means a certain amount to that person. And like you could yeah. find, you could even find two badminton players. You could find two cricketers, two footballers, two rugby players and, and retire them at the same age at the same time. Yeah. And it will it will be completely different for both of them because there's a, yeah. there's two lives there that have had different experiences that it's valued differently, and so as yeah. much as you can look for the help, it is really about grieving and 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 when someone loses a loved one literally through death, um, as much as you can say like I know how you feel, you don't really know how that person feels because it's an individual relationship okay. with that person and it is it is true grief. So yeah, I mm -hmm. think that was that's genuinely a. A thing of awareness that professional athletes need to have is that be aware that there's a grieving process and i think that's where some of the stuff yeah. that i like doing with with more professional athletes is 
is making sure that there are things in place that allow them to not look at their sport as a um the be all and end all it's not just their identity like find your try and find your identity before you finish really know what your identity is really be able to um, verbalize what you're what you are who you are before you finish exactly um yeah so that when it does come it's not as tough a transition because my search for my identity took me a while and i think i still i'm pretty close and i still would say i'm i'm not there um but realizing that grieving process is now coming nearer and nearer to an end and and it's still it's been three four years for me like but it, some people were like oh it's going to take you two years but no it's been mm-hmm. f- nearly four for me that it's still still a bit yeah. of a struggle um it's, it's such a yeah. it's such a weird world to be in it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is um but that's why i think sports people can talk to each other amazingly i think nothing you can meet any sports person from any sport and they know that you know and you know that they know mm. and i think that's something very powerful and we don't do enough it's not about whether we should be all trained in counseling therapy or psychology it's just hey how are you doing you yeah. know oh yeah, yeah you know this is happening and whatever don't do it enough um and sports people talking to sports people um it's very powerful i think collaborating as well i think collaborating Mm. in in realizing that the skill sets we have are are good if you can find someone who's similar thinking similar doing because eventually you will transition and and yes you had a career in sport but you're you're gonna have a career in something else whether it's coaching business whatever uh, even relationships like the way the way you can look at things the more and more every day i'm constantly remembering and reminding myself through other people's experiences because of things that I had done as an athlete realizing yeah how valuable just the understanding of like having a structured routine in a workout is so that I can build a healthier body which helps a healthier mind that's a great valuable asset and then you go into like team building drive enthusiasm passion yeah like hard work and all these elements the 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 tools that we have that are really valuable to transfer over um are, Definitely. Uh, and if you can collaborate with someone i think that would be a big i think a big part for me was the the in the, the lack of security that i had coming out of the sport yes um you have no certainty of where you're going to be what you're going to do who you want to what what sort of career you want so i think if there's a way in which we can find um athletes to to create that security or or if businesses can be more inviting to to opening the doors for athletes and realizing their skills it's it's valuable i guess what was what was kind of the biggest learner that you had when you you transitioned out um and i and is there a way in which you view it specifically for transitioning that might make it a little bit easier um whether there's things that you feel that athletes should definitely be doing to to make it that little bit easier the first thing that I learn, um, so a lot of athletes get, you know, asked you to go into schools and go into businesses and say, you know, like, um, talk about sport and all the lessons learned for sport, how we can put it into business. And, uh, you know, athletes, some athletes are really good at it and they'll go in and go, yeah, we talked about goal setting and blah, 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 and the team dynamics of people and everything like that. And one of the first kind of things that I was doing was going into schools and a couple of businesses asked me to do a couple of talks. The biggest thing that I learned in transition is to bloody practice what I was bloody talking about. That's what I bloody learned. (laughs) It was just like, there was me going on about working together, 
um, how you need a team of people, how you need like sort of to change and adapt and all these sort of things and control the controllables. And then I'd get home and go, oh my God, my life, I don't know what I'm doing. Like this. And then I just sort of like, you know what, I've just been talking about this, but it, it didn't, there was no connection of, I was still, I, I was going into Gail M's athlete mode when I was going in to talk at schools and talking to business. And I never, ever put the two that actually it was me. And I, I actually do need to sort of take, you know, sort of listen to what I'm talking about and, and, and all that stuff. And it's just like, oh, you know, I just, maybe it's stubbornness. Maybe it's like, I'm going to fight through this. I can do it myself. I don't know what it was. It was just... You know, there was no there was no connection. But then again, mm. it was you know I, I never had that help to help me put the two together. I, I was I was just so on my own, working around and just sort of fighting fires, not being the proactive one. And then and then when it did realise, when I did get that connection, then it was like right, who do I talk to? Who is my team of people around me now? Because no one knew what to do with me. I was mm. a mess. Athletes now, I think. Again, we, you know, I've talked about a holistic approach, you know, sort of doing a lot more of this self-awareness, identity stuff, right as, you know, as soon as you can. Don't leave it to after you're, you've retired, you know, work on who you are way before you've, you know, so who are you other than the, the footballer? Who are you other than the rugby player? Who are you? You know, sort of say your name and this is what you're about. Understand your characteristics your behaviors your loves your motivations all that stuff then you know whether you want to study or not or whether you want to work in a business one day a week that's your personal choice but as long as you know this you know that this and again talking to other athletes just get info you know you don't the more you just put that tunnel vision of just that medal or just that title the more it's going to get harder and harder because what happens is it narrows what you want to do is just keep these lovely blinkers open to everything because you never know what's going to what's going to happen you could get this horrible injury the next you know tomorrow or you could get you know all the funding cut or whatever we just don't know what's going to happen so keep those blinkers open as much as possible yeah i think uh, with the world we live in as well of social media and the access that you can get whether it's like something like linkedin i think linkedin is a really undervalued um commodity for athletes I I look at a lot of my ex-teammates and I really wish they were building their brands I really wish they were out there and go because like you said as soon as you finish your phone will stop ringing and that will be it and then you won't get you'll have to start building that brand without mate well with what you've done but you're not actively doing it you won't have the power of people coming to you you're gonna have to go to them and that That I think is more a practical thing that you can do. I, I love how we talk about talking, and it's the same thing that if um, talk about mental health and talking about mental health and things like that. And I think it, yes, we need to talk about it, but that is literally the first step, as the first step of a process that should happen. And then in place of that, there should be practical steps. And like I said, for me, is that's that's where like I like teaching these these practical steps for people, so that you actually figure out what you're doing and understanding your self awareness, who you are, and how to manage it. But then from a, there is this commercial side of sport mm-hmm. that you you can leverage, especially as a professional. And that is 100% building your brand. Like I wish, I wish things like, 
Instagram, um, yeah. like LinkedIn and all that were like really fired up and weren't growing when I was jumping in. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Like I, 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 they were growing and they were very embryonic in in that time, but now they're not. And now they're times when you can just bang, you can set yourself up, you can set up a business before you've even finished. Um, yeah. And that that's a great way to leverage. So I think that's more of a practical thing that people can definitely do coming out of their sport for transitioning for sure. Yeah, I think um, just talk to anyone and everyone, literally go through every single business card that you've got or even, you know, sort of talk to the marketing person at your, you know, sort of your club or your, you know, anyone, don't be afraid to make those calls and just say, look, you know, this is, I just want to meet up and chat with people because I just don't know which path to take. And you never know if I chat to this person, chat to 20, 30 different people because you never know, everyone will be there going, well, you know what, you can put you in touch with this person, put you in touch with this person. And you know what, this, the world, it's it's a great network but you've got to yeah it's being proactive with it yeah that's that's a good point if you're a part of a club as well Mm -hmm. like um sporting club get to know everyone get to know uh, get to know everyone in finance get to know everyone in the admin staff uh don't go learn who they are because i or i'm so thankful for and it was when i was here in adelaide and it was the one of the lessons i learned from um harvey who i was living with he's like my surrogate father out here and he um he taught me he was an ex-professional cricketer a very he's a very wise man he's like a mentor for me and he he said to me he told me a story about an old professional cricketer um and when he played for australia and he went from playing state cricket then played for australia and there was a guy that had brought him up as a as a young player and then when he was playing for australia and he was coming out the nets and from training that guy brought him up came up to say hello to him and he just walked past him and Harvey went and grabbed him and just said to him you meet the same people on the way down as you do on the way up and and like that just resonated with me so early on in my career and I was like I will treat everyone the same and that's the one thing that I think you should definitely do don't put yourself on a pedestal there is everyone in that (laughs) in in a in a club is looking out for you that the end goal is there to look out for you and if you look out for them, it, there will be someone in their network that could potentially help you out. And, and well, you're amazing at that. Like you're probably one of the best sports people I know at networking. And um... <laughs> I'm too bloody social for my own good. That's my yeah. Favorite. It's so true, and you but know, it's a we benefit. Have little, we have these little protective bubbles around us when we're athletes, and you know, I, I was the same. I wasn't the, you know, was this, you know kind of quite hard person you know but that was just all a cover because of what was going on but you're right and I remember who do I think I sort of a couple of years later and you know sort of went in back into the Bampton Centre for something and I saw this guy and I you know I said oh hi how are you and he went I think that's the first time you've ever asked me how I am and wow. I sort of went oh and he went it goes it's okay girl but you know I'm glad you're in this better place now he goes we would never been able to do this when you were sort of playing, but I understood that. But I guess what's nice is that you're back and you're, uh, you're, you know, sort of you've learned from, you know, sort of who you are as an athlete and you've gone through that process. But I just wanted to let you know that. And it was like that kind of, oh my gosh, you do realise you get caught up in this, you know, athlete ego mode. And sometimes you're right, just, just, you know, why, 
again it's with what was happening was that I was allowed and you know it wasn't good for me it wasn't great for me it wasn't great for me as a person it wasn't great for the organization so that's why again you know so the work you're doing are that holistic approach saying thank you appreciation gratitude you know as an athlete we can get very caught up and we don't realize and then it's only when you know a couple of years later I've asked someone how they are that I had no idea that I've never asked them that before and that that that's horrifying to me but you know if we can get that more installed then people get those circles in the sport they have better relationships better connections and stuff rather than me like you know feeling shit now for not saying that so yeah that's what we need to do yeah what a lovely what a lovely little bit i think um we've been talking for ages and i think that's a a great thing to to mention so people can find you on instagram Oh, of course. yeah Twitter, instagram linkedin i think exactly. i'm still the only gail ems out there so yeah for um... sure. and gail ems mve so the 100 definitely <laughs> the only one um yeah look and obviously you're posting up so much stuff of, of like workouts and things like that you're um you're yeah. in incredible shape so like yeah you you're you're looking after your health and i think that's another good point to make like looking after that health especially uh, after you finish is um is a really big factor and and just not yeah. not not residing to the fact that you you don't have to, you shouldn't put the body aside no again i think it's that appreciation and gratitude my body put me through amazing stuff <laughs> and and actually my body's really naturally strong I'm, i've never had a, a bad injury i i want to look after it i want to be a good role model for my boys i want to keep mm. up with them um you know again reflective of what my mom was like with me you know that energy the enthusiasm you know i've got two boys 10 and 7 i need to keep up with them yeah. <laughs> you know i was uh, we did some sprint training and actually i had to work quite hard to beat my 10 year old i was like oh my god this is not good <laughs> so oh, you know i want that and i want that lifestyle and we you know it's not only good for our physical health it's good for mental health for me i feel amazing when i've you know done a great run and you know i'm not trying to break world records or olympic records i'm just doing it for me i'm not comparing anyone you know myself to you know, internet, YouTube sensation or Instagram, you know, fitness models or anything like that. Mm. I'm just, you know, I'm like, I'm proud of what I did. And then again, for athletes, for anyone, just do what works for you. You know, yeah. we're not all going to, I'm, I'm yet to be a yoga superstar like you, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, not, nothing like that. No, I'm trying. honestly, I'm yeah. trying. I'm better when it, I'm, I'm, better when there's like people around me to kind of help me and I feel very much in that for I sure. get my energy from other people yoga. for sure yeah so, yeah I am but I I am trying so no. yeah just do it you just gotta do what's right for you don't we totally look your your energy is amazing I've always loved your energy and I think not only that really like your outlook on sport especially from a women's point of view I think is yeah. is really inspirational and more people need to hear some of the stuff that you're saying I think you can inspire a lot of girls not for that grit and that determination and that mindset that you you need to get there i think you you've just got it and yeah your boys are going to have it for sure with with their <laughs> mindset because you're you're going to be keeping up with them but um All thank therapy for the rest of their life <laughs> <laughs> no thanks thanks girl for doing this and uh, i appreciate it
Thanks again for listening to the Raising Your Game podcast. You can support the podcast as always in a variety of ways. You can leave a rating, a review, subscribing via YouTube or even sharing on social media. I'm on Instagram at Lewis Hatchet as well as my YouTube channel where I post up videos and clips of the podcast themselves. So that one is Lewis Hatchet on YouTube. You can also find me on my other social media channel at The Sport Yogi, which is on Instagram, Facebook, and also YouTube channel. That's based towards more movement, breath work, mindfulness, and meditation for athletes, sports people, or even if you're just into exercise. And you know what? Even the everyday person too. So go check out those channels if you're interested in that sort of thing. I'm super excited to announce that I'm going to be releasing an app so that all my content is going to be really easy to digest. It's going to be super useful for people within sport and exercise to help improve flexibility, strength, focus, calm, using all these techniques that are around yoga-based movement, breath work, meditation, mindfulness, and then also some mindset work. I'm really keen on looking after not only the bodies, but the minds. My motto is to keep your mind strong and your body ready. So keep an eye out on my channels for the app that's going to be released in the coming weeks. It's something that I am super, super excited about. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll see you soon.